Welcome back indeed, episode number 61, Rasball Fantasy Basketball Podcast Sun and Joel edition. Joel, what's going on, my man? I'm doing I'm doing okay. I've banked um, a week of recovery with this stupid broken toe. Um, there I'm I'm really in the danger zone for setbacks because I keep on bumping into things in the dark and then like <laughs> It's it's not that I'm stubbing the toe. It's like that I'm moving the toe in a way that it shouldn't. So I'm hoping that um, this is a, a quicker timeline recovery. Um, but, you know, we've got a weekend of a potential six. So, you know, that's not nothing as long as I don't screw it up too quickly. Well, what I need you to do is um, every time you stub the toe or every time you move the toe, so I need you to kick like Pele, and then just scream, goal! <laughs> That's what I need. Man, I do. There, There is yelling that happens after this. Um, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not exuberant or joyful. It's, it's, I mean, this whole thing is just an exercise in frustration. Like, I just have to be a lot more patient. Nothing is happening quickly in my house anymore. Just, like, forget about normal timelines. Um and just day by day but uh yeah i'm surprised that no one has like sent a text message like are you guys okay over there he's yelling a lot in the middle of the night (laughs) well joel aka sloth aka pele uh bar um now man yeah i i hope uh i mean that's a that's a long process you know i hope uh, everything goes through well um yo you wrote a great piece uh sacramento kings everyone go check it out um, you know, I, I mean, I enjoyed reading it. I thought it was really good. I think your, your insight and knowledge has definitely progressed since you first started writing. Um, you know, you were always a fantastic writer. So just kind of like the combination of the two, uh, it's been really cool to see the evolution. And I think, uh, where you're at now, um, yeah, I mean, I think you've gone to a certain level where, uh yeah i mean it's it's really good stuff so um everyone go check that out um go to the raspball page sacramento kings mr hooper uh is the uh pseudonym uh all right before we get into stuff today i think um you know joel's kind of thinking about i mean we're thinking about next year's prep you know that's you know that's that, that's how we roll in these streets um you know we've learned a lot of things we've discussed a lot of things over the past pods um and so I'm very interested to see kind of where Joel's head is at, what he's thinking, what he kind of wants to do. So that'll be the meat and potatoes of this pod. But before we get into that, this is episode number 61. There have been two players that have worn the number 61, Bevel, Nordman, and Dave Piontek. And interestingly, they both played for the Cincinnati Royals back in 62-63. And for drama... Bevel had it in 62, and then Dave came in and snatched it away in 63. So I don't know exactly what happened, Did they, if they cut Bevel or if Dave came in and just punked him for the number or whatnot. Uh, <laughs> whatnot. But, uh, yeah, those are the only two, interestingly. So, um, Maybe they only had like, uh, a set number of jerseys. <laughs> they only like, had right, well, we got a new guy. You're 61 because right. that's the jersey that we have available right, for right. you. Oh, that's hilarious. All right, so in terms of 61 points that have been scored 17 times, Kobe, Harden times two, LeBron, MJ times two, Dame times two, Carl Malone, George Mikan, Shaq, 
will times six. So, you know, <laughs> every week is will. Will times four, will times six. So uh, I actually went in and looked. So starting at 50 points, he's hit every single number except for 64, 69, which I thought is kind of ironic thinking of his exploits, you know, with women. So the universe got jokes like that. 71, 74, 75, 76, 77. Uh, those are the only ones he did. And then obviously, you know, it's blank up to 100. So mm. um, I think we do have to knock him down uh, the greatest, the, the GOAT rankings, because he missed all, basically all the 80s, all the 90s. Um, you know, that's that's pretty terrible, pretty shameful. So we need to knock him down the rankings in that one. Um, all right. So, you know, I was going to talk about Shea, but... But um, we can still do that. No, no, no. I don't, I don't want to. Uh, I You know, I think... Uh, we can talk about Shea another time, um, but I, I I think what you have, you know, going down, uh, I, I I'm more interested in that. So let, let's get into that. Uh, give me your thoughts on, you know, what you what you've been thinking about this. Um, okay, sure. Um, I think I'm I think I'm ill. I think I'm a, a sick man because um, I I am thinking about draft prep for next year. Um, some of this was, was sort of spurred on because, um, we were listening to past podcasts, including one where you and I were talking about our Raz Jam teams, which it's, you know, I actually, I think that's an interesting exercise because we were both so enthusiastic about these teams. Um, maybe yours has gotten better. Mine is not, um, I'm in the bottom third of that league. Um, and so when I was listening back to to that episode, I was hearing what I was thinking with each pick and with the ones that didn't work out, especially, which is most of them really, um, you can hear, I can hear what the thinking was and I can, I understand why it was incomplete. I'd say like the most frequent thing that I did was I, I didn't really consider downsides or potential, um, potential problems. So for a player like Rudy Gobert, who I drafted in the fourth round, in the third round, um, you know, I, I thought that I was drafting uh, the jazz version of Rudy Gobert and that the move to Minnesota was immaterial, that all of these stats would transfer over without any problem um, or adjustment period. It would just be seamless. Um, and so when I heard that, I was like, all right, like, so next year I should remember think you know i should i should build a rubric and have a bunch of different categories and go through and just like code all of these players um i also want to do the casey chaw method which is something that you did with this baseball draft and i want to talk with you about sort of how you did that but yeah i just started thinking about what would be what are the things that should go on this rubric um so that i don't step on the same rake that I stepped on last year. Um, so yeah, like things like uh, team context, things like uh, role and roster. Um, obviously, I'm going to look at whatever data I have as far as um, last year's numbers or larger sample size and see overall trends, that kind of stuff. Um, and then I think like a little bit of like sort of casting of like, what is the best case scenario here? Like uh, looking at um maybe someone like Tyrese Halliburton who's so like injury notwithstanding is having like the best version of the year that he could have 
um, which is a useful endeavor. So you can sort of understand what ceiling is and also uh, worst case scenario, uh, which would have been nice to have thought through when I was considering a player like Jalen Smith of like, oh, yeah, he's got this, you know, in that, in that instance, I, I drafted him, you drafted him too, because he was tabbed to be the starting power forward in Indiana and the role uh, upside was really attractive, but neither one of us really thought through like what are the downsides of this? Um, mostly like, is this guy actually good enough to hang on to that job once it's been given to him? Um, and then, you know, factoring things like projections, um, you know, I, I, I'm curious to see if there's anything that, that I have overlooked or anything that like stands out to you as particularly valuable. Um, at first I felt a little weird about this because I was like, I'm going to be giving away my process. And then I remember the thing that Jenneke said about like, most people won't fucking do it anyways. And exactly. so like, all right, yeah, this is my process that I'm, you know, I've never really, I've never really like done off-season prep um, in a sort of like formal um, constructed way. And so because so many of my teams are doing poorly um, and because some of them, even the ones that are doing well are sort of, they've sort of congealed, like they are what they are. There won't be much movement. Um, yeah, I'm starting to think about how, how I want to build a winner next year. Um, and since you had just done a baseball draft, it seems like it's the perfect time to talk about like, what are the sort of things that, uh, that we should be looking at when thinking about players, uh, in the draft next year? Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a lot there. Uh, so I don't know exactly where to start. Um, I think while you were speaking, I kept thinking of kind of like my journey. Uh, and you know, we've, we've discussed, uh, some of these things in, in past pods, uh, you know, process and, and things like that. Um, you know, for myself, I do think that uh, my process has gone to a point where um, it's a little bit more refined now. Uh, that's not to say that it's, it's, it's where I want it to be, because there's definitely thoughts that I have to, you know, make it better. And I'm sure there's things that will come in uh, as I experience things or learn things um, that'll make it better. Uh, you know, the the first thing is that, um, and you know, we, we I think it was the pot of mistakes are healthy uh, that episode. Uh, yeah, you know, like when you lose, when you don't do well, like man, it really it's a gut punch, right? It's a reality check. Uh, it's a humbling experience and. Um, but you know, those are the times when, uh, you know, they are kind of the most beneficial, right? Because then you realize it exposes a lot of things and then it makes you dig in and dive into just everything, you know, what can I do better? What did I do wrong? What am I missing? But exactly just kind of what you were just talking about right now. Right. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I think that in of itself, like, uh, you know, the awareness, I mean, that's pretty, pretty much what it is, right? The awareness and the kind of humility, uh, because, you know, when you're winning and thinking like, you know, you, everything's good. And, you know, a lot of times you attribute a lot of the sex to your, yourself when in fact yeah, that I'm so brilliant that this is inevitable. <laughs> right, right. Know? Exactly. But yet, you know, the, you know, a lot of times it could just be variance. Um, it could be luck. It could, you know, you know, I mean, it's a combination of things. Obviously you have some semblance of skill, right? But so, you know, that was the first thing, but then just thinking back to my whole process. So, 
um, when I first kind of got more serious about it, I mean, I I was pretty rudderless, pretty direction directionsless. I I uh, I really didn't have a clue, you know. So mm. I think that's. Um, you know, I, I think the first step most people do is you obviously seek out others that have their rankings and their projections and stuff like that. And then you go go there. But then I think you come at, you know, you come to a realization like um, that's theirs. You know, that's their thinking. That's their rankings. Right. So then it's like, well, you know, a lot of times, you know, you don't agree with them or whatnot. So then now you have to figure out uh, what is more suitable for you. So then I think my first jump was okay well i mean let me try to do my own projections and and i mean man it was really it, it was tough it was tough just because i had no idea and just starting was just such a daunting experience um and even to this day sometimes i'm like ah man it's fuck i don't want to do it right just because mm-hmm. it's a lot of fucking work you know um but you know fortunately you know i mean the internet Right, like you can find so much information on the internet, uh, and then you know I was able to. Some people were willing to, you know, kind of help me out and, and guide me in certain ways, so that that helped too. So then, projections, I think, it gave me a certain uh, base, a, a foundation to kind of like uh, it was a crutch in a way. Uh, it gave me some sort of semblance of what value is. So after doing that for a few years, I think where I'm at now is, um, you know, obviously I have ideas on how to make the projections better and, um, you know, reading that process, the book, the process, uh, you know, it's going so, and, you know, talking to Rudy, uh, there's things that I'm going to, you know, tweak with my Z-score stuff. And then there's things that I didn't know that I need to incorporate. Uh, but then also there's a thing called like standing points gained. Uh, which is a projection system that's uh, will pretty much give you a similar kind of uh, projection to z-scores but it's just a different process and that that's more like how many points does it gain to move up in the standings and things like that so I, I may try to incorporate that and I know talking to Rudy that's kind of like where his basis is uh, and, mm. you know, when like looking at his war room, like it's really helpful for drafts and stuff. So uh, so from a projection standpoint, I think, you know, there's things I'm going to add. I'm going to try that and tweak it. So that's, and, you know, I'm going to keep trying to, you know, refine that process. But <clears throat> I think where I got to now and uh, part of it is from Geneki too and part of it is from experience. But, um, you know, I think now I think I'm more comfortable with uh, I'm able to not use projections as a crutch anymore. I think where I'm at in terms of like values and things like that, I think I have a pretty decent foundation. Uh, so where I can use it as a tool rather than a crutch. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think the level where like Eric Wong and Jenny are at, um, they're, they're way past that level, you know, like they, yeah. they do it to kind of give them an idea, but they really don't need it to draft. Right. So, um, I, and I think that's where I want to get to, but I, I do think that I, I did make that, that leap over that kind of ravine from crutch to where I can kind of walk by myself with that and, and, and have that foundation. Um, and then, so, you know, a lot of things I think I learned over this past season um, in terms of, you know, 
like my NSA, just trying to get as much data collection as possible. And then now, uh, then it then it becomes a matter of uh, filtering it the right way. So then now I have to figure out uh, how I want to filter it and what's important and what's not important. Uh, so that's good. And then you know experience and um, you know my my main event team two years ago. You know I, I mean it was a fucking painful experience, but I think I'm in a similar spot to where you are now, where it really it, it pissed me off. You know, and I was like, fuck, you know, um, and so, you know, I use that to try to, you know, get better. You know, I wanted to have a better showing this year. Uh, I think I did. Um, you know, I'm definitely, you know, the team is much better. I'm, I'm, I'm within, you know, I'm, I, I'm there. there. There's a chance that I could make a run, but we'll, you know, we'll see, but at least I'm not <laughs> fucking at the bottom and just hopeless and just already planning for next year. Right. So. Yeah, well, like some of the people that we know in this conversation. <laughs> no, but, you know, I mean, you know, at the same time, like, I did a lot of teams. And I have a lot yeah. of fucking shitty teams. You know, like, really bad. I was just, oh, my God. So, you know, now it's like, and that's what amazes me with Rocco, right? He puts up more volume than me, but most of his teams are in the top third, right? Like, so like, frustrating. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, so, it, it's props, you know, it's just like that. That level of consistency, you know, it's just like, it's pretty amazing, right? So, like, that's the level I want to get to. Um, and, you know, just always, I've been just trying to add, you know, different tools into the toolbox, you know, like, um, you know, just looking at different stats, looking at different websites, like just, so basically, I think what it comes down to is, um, just trying to, you just got to do shit. And, you know, we, we had a whole pod on this, right? You just got to do shit, right? Because yeah. then you'll figure out what works and what doesn't. And then once you travel down a particular path, it'll open up other paths. It's like a tree branch, right? Like you learn, oh, like, you know, the whole concept of, you know, like, I, I forgot the exact quote, but, you know, was it Aristotle or Socrates? I don't remember. But, you know, um, I know that I do not know. Right. And, mm. you know, the, the one visualization that I used to always get from that was that. Um, so, you know, you go down the path and, you know, you have some information and you learn one thing. But then once you learn something like that will allow you to question other things. So then the tree of knowledge or the, 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 the path of like questioning will continue to branch out because each time you learn something right that accesses and unlocks like new things that you didn't know right because new information right and then so that that tree it just keeps branching 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 so then so you know when i used to think of it like like that then you know that quote of you know like true wisdom is when you know when you realize you don't know anything because yeah, because once you learn something, it it just unlocks other stuff. So then it just yeah, it just more questions. yeah, it just you know it just it, I mean it's basically infinite, right? So, um, yeah, I mean I just you know just rambling and you know okay, so sorry sorry to bring it back to the baseball draft, Casey Chaw, right? Um, well, I do want to get to that because I yeah. I think you know as I'm thinking about like what I want to do for next year, I love that idea. I love that idea of starting from the bottom and going up and sort of doing your own tiers and really actually like thinking about every player yeah. um, in the pool. I think, you know, talking about like learning things through experience, 
and then putting it into practice, like that 30 team draft that we did this summer, um, particularly because it was salary cap too, we're like, I had to actually think about like, what is the dollar value for every player in basketball, which was really illuminating because like, you know, one of the lessons that came out of that was um, that there's, there's probably a, a guy though, whatever your idea of like the last guy in a tier is, there, there's probably another guy that's actually not that far behind, you know, or if there isn't like being very certain of where that tier ends is extremely knowledgeable or extremely valuable knowledge. And so, yeah, I'm sitting here thinking about like how I would, how I would go through that process of um, sort of tiering every player in the pool, but you did that. It sounds like for this baseball draft. So I tell did. me more about like how you went through that. Sure. What was the, the organization of that? Okay, sure. So I'm going to go back a, a bit and then I'll come back to it. Um, so I won't, I won't ramble too hard, but so over this past year, you know, um, you know, for you know, so when I do my projections, I'm allocating the teams, that, and I'm basically doing depth charts. But then, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of talking to Jenicky and kind of Wong, you know, to some degree, the way that they do depth charts is, you know, was a lot more in depth than what I was doing. So then, you know, I started to incorporate that, and just the way, just the way that they think about depth charts and things like that, and then, you know, information, and so like that process of of kind of just really delving into every team and every player. So, you know, that was that was the first part of, you know, yeah, of it, right? So, um, reading, so when I reread the Casey Chaw interview again, um, you know, he basically was like, I, you know, I'm just going to fan graphs and just going through every player, right? And, you know, obviously he didn't tell what exactly he was looking at, but I'm familiar with Fangers enough to kind of like know what, you know, how I want to look at it and what I'm looking at. So, um, so for this particular baseball draft, like I wanted to try to incorporate a lot of the Casey Chaw things. So he says like, all right, I, I go through every player, Fangers, you know, whatever. And then, um, you know, I X out players and then, you know, I look at positions and, and things like that. And then I just basically have, all the guys that I want on, on a small piece of paper. So that was my kind of mindset going into it. So um, I went through each position uh, and, you know, looking at the fangrass projections, you know, obviously some guys I know better than others, so I didn't really have to go too deep into to, to most. But, um, you know, there were certain things that I was looking for. Uh, so uh, when I really liked a player, um, I put him down. I just put them down on my spreadsheet and I just went down every single player. Um, I didn't go all the way down to the bottom. Uh, you know, maybe that's, you know, maybe something I, I should probably do. And this is why uh, I had to kind of rely on Rudy's warsheet, like for the end game. But, mm-hmm. um, for, but, but, you know, for like the starters and, you know, basically it was good for maybe up to like half the draft, 25 rounds, something like that. So, so basically like when I went through each position like that, um, uh, you know, I, it was like, well, is this guy good enough for me to put on this sheet? Right. Because I mean, you can make an argument for everybody, right? Like, oh, well he does this, he does that. But then I was like, well, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to really try to filter it out to be like, you know, these are the guys I want. Right. So I also had to, I looked at the NFBC ADP, um, because that was a huge part of it too. 
right? And so if there was a guy that um, I liked, but then I looked at his ADP and he was just like going way too high, I, I X'd him out. I just, yeah. I, I didn't put him on there. And so like that whole process really like filtered out um, what I wanted to do. And then by association, by doing that, uh, when I looked at my spreadsheet, it's basically automatically tiered, right? Because I put the ADP next to it and then, you know, position. So position, and then, so the one thing that I did was, you know, because like stolen bases, right? Like speed is really, like the speed and saves are kind of like interesting, you know, category stats for baseball. So, um, so the guys that had speed, I put a special marker for them, you know, just to kind of see what positions were that where they're kind of like on the landscape, how many mm-hmm. guys like I like, and then, um, and then I differentiated between like guys that steal a little bit and guys that steal a lot, and so. So I had this kind of like matrix on my space spreadsheet and then it just automatically tiered, right? So, you know, after I went through that process of doing everything, um, you know, just from like a, uh, I guess a macro sense, you know, obviously like if there's like 21st basement and five third basement, you know, then it's like, well, well actually, actually oh, I wouldn't even put it, oh, okay. I won't bother putting it on my sheet, but, you know, looking at it, like you can kind of see where the positions are deep, you know, and then if you look at ADP, where, you know, the prices and costs of them are usually, and then it really gave me a, you know, really, I mean, it's, I mean, it's common knowledge where, you know, third base is weak this year. Like it's very top heavy. Right. But then, mm. you know, when you look at it, you know, when I look at it, it's like, yeah, it's really weak. So then, and and then it kind of defines and uh, in a way it maps out the draft, automatically to some degree right because then you're like well you know do i want to prioritize prioritize third base right because it falls off or do i feel good about it like if you know like say okay the perfect example for me going into this one was actually you know third base all right the last guy that i felt comfortable with alex bregman and um you know, I was like, well, all right, so how am I going to, how am I going to do this? Like, am I going to pay up for third baseman, try to lock in a third baseman early? Or am I going to wait till Bregman? Um, am I going to pay up for Bregman? If I miss Bregman, then what am I doing? So in a way, I, I started off at third base there just because I felt like um, positionally, like it just, all the other positions had a little more, more flexibility, I think, in terms of paths mm-hmm. that, and paths that I could go. So, um, so you know, yeah. So what ended up happening was, yeah, I did, you know, I did, you know, go with Bregman, and then I paid up for him a little bit past, you know, ADP, and then from there, I just kind of went with the flow, like what was there, uh, and then yeah. I, so I'm just looking at my my tier sheet, you know, my positional sheet and just seeing where, you know, where the fall off happens in terms of price and uh, talent. And then, so, so there, I remember there was a, a point where, uh, I think it was rounds eight, nine, 10, 11, I think like that, that little slot. And it, I mean, it really, <laughs> I got autoed in the third round, which, which, you know, gave me a closer. So that kind of like messed up everything because I didn't want to take a yeah. closer early. So that kind of defined my path early. But but since I had the closer there, so basically, 
at the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, at that four round period there, when I looked at my sheet, I was like, well, it kind of fit perfectly, right? Because I'm like, well, this guy here is in this position and his ADP was like 78 and then this guy's 80 something and then, you know, this guy, whatever. So the ADP and then the tiers and all the players, they all matched up. So then I'm like, well, it basically mapped out my draft for me. So then, you know, obviously I had to, so then I had to think, you know, I, I, I couldn't get cute and take another player because, you know, for example, so sometimes like say there's two players, their ADP is 90 right? You cannot take both in that mm -hmm. If you wait for that range, right? So, you know, you're going to have to pay up for one so that you can get the other one, right? So, so that's basically what happened. Like it ended up mapping out where, you know, I like these guys, it, it fit, you know, in terms of like the, the tiering and all that stuff. And then uh, I ended up having to pay up for two of the guys, but you know, it fit the puzzle for what I was trying to accomplish. So, all right, mm -hmm. sorry, sorry, go ahead. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? So one thing that I was curious about, and it's it's a little bit different for baseball than it is for basketball, but um, when you were categorizing these players ahead of time, were you doing it by um, the position that, I guess now I'm thinking about, about basketball, would you do it by the position that they're eligible for, or would you do it by the categories that they will provide? So I think, uh, yeah, no, that's a good question. And I think that going into this next draft, um, you know, I may want to do both. I think mm. first is uh, positionally, just because there are certain roster requirements. And then when I read the process, like there's certain ways to, uh, you know, like if you want to assign dollar values and replacement level and, and things like that, like there are certain positional restraints on it. So NFBC, you know, what, four guards, Right. So, you know, other game, uh, you know, other leagues, you know, there's certain like sh whatever point guard, shooting guard. So whatever the league is, I think you do have to break it down positionally. Um, and then after that, um, you know, I guess categorically. So, for example, my my one thought right now, I, at least going into next year was. Um, and, you know, we kind of talked about this too, addressing like how we can approach a center position. Right. And and. You know, Rocco's first pod was basically kind of like, you know, guard heavy, lock up all that stuff, and then just kind of, you know, the JaVale McGee's of the world and things like that. But, you know, he's very uh, adaptable, right? But my, at least, you know, without doing research and digging into it too much, but my, well, okay, before I get into that, like Wong is like, you know, he, I think he kind of puts a little bit more premium on centers than most. Cause he's like, I get that. Yeah, because he's like, he, I think his thinking is like, yo, you need two, right? And then there's a limited pool and it drops off pretty, you know, pretty steeply after a certain level. So, um, you know, let me let, let me address that. So, you know, there's kind of two divergent ways of thought there. But, you know, at, at least right now, my, my initial thinking is um, I think I'm leaning more towards like uh, just the guard heavy stats and um, you know, points and, you know, all that stuff. And my, my main thinking is this before when I first started, I was so concerned about percentages, free throw and things like that. And so that would give me 
that would affect the way that I looked at centers, right? Because I was always looking for, like, say, like a Zubac type or Jared Allen type mm -hmm. that, you know. Thomas Bryant, somebody who doesn't yeah, kill you with a free throw. I know, right? Yeah, they'll shoot 70% from the line, you know, and do everything. But then now I'm kind of thinking, well, if you build up your free throw foundation core well enough in the beginning with those high guards, and most of those high guards do have great free throw percentage, you can buttress one or two guys that shoot 50%. Like even Steven Adams is shooting 32%. But, you know, I, I, I'm beginning to think that like, you know, if you had what Dame, you know, Jordan Poole, Simons, like all the you know, whatever, right. All those guys, like I, I have a feeling they would be able to buttress it. You know, the, his free throw. And then, you know, so, you know, when you fact like Nick Claxton is a perfect example and like, man, like going back and looking at all his stuff, like the last like week or so, like I've been really kicking myself, right? Because he was going outside the top 100, right? And I mean, we we all knew he was going to get more minutes. The depth chart was clear ahead of him, right? So, you know, he was averaging what 20 minutes per game before. He was going to get at least eight more minutes per game, 28 minutes, maybe 30, maybe more, right? And we knew he could board and rebound. But like stupid, my, my stupid galaxy brain always was like, ah, but he, he can't shoot free throws, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then, so now I'm kind of thinking there's like, there are those guys. Right. So I'm not saying like to not take a, a top center, um, you know, I, cause I do think we, we still need to be adaptable, but I do think a viable way is to load up on all those guards. And then, yeah, if you have the Nick Claxons, you know, if you have those guys later, Man, I think your team is looking pretty dope, you know, right? Yeah, I um, a lot of things went off in my head while you were while you were talking about that. Okay, the first is that I think that the super premium top tier centers, um, if they're available, you should take them. Like that is that is my thinking now, just especially in the NFBC format because you have to play two because the pool is smaller and because like Jokic and Bede, really Jokic and, and Embiid are so good um, really across the board. The things that they, that they're not good at are three pointers, which are things that you can find, you, find, you know, yeah. like I think that like having that kind of baseline for a roto build um, in a two center league, a mandatory two center league, if I have the opportunity ever to draft Embiid or Jokic, I'm going to do it. That's fair. Um, but I think that what you're saying about Claxton, about like, this is why I want to build the rubric, because you correctly identified that like there's this big flaw, which is that his free throw percentage is really bad. Um, but there were these other things that, you know, if you were, if we were to lay this out on a sheet, would mark so the free throw percentage is going red that's a problem flag um but you talk about like role this guy's going to be the starter team context not only is he going to be the starter there's no backup center behind him you know it's like it's dayron sharp and do you think that nick lax is going to lose his job to dayron sharp um there's like sort of age growth like that's a hard thing to sort of um map but I, I think it's a thing that you can identify as like where is this player in like their sort of overall trajectory and like claxton would have had a green flag for that of like a younger player 
who's getting seasoned, who's got an opportunity. Um, so I feel like if I'm able to, to build this rubric that will show me if, if I do enough of the work ahead of time, that when I'm in this moment where like, I'm thinking about where am I going to get my blocks from? And I look at it and I go like, I will Claxton has the one red flag of like free throws, but he has four other ones that are really positive. And I'm weighing that against someone like JaVale McGee who would have had a positive of like his free throw percentage isn't as bad as a center. He's got a similar role, blah, blah, blah. But he would have red flags of being like, he's an older player. That roster construction isn't guaranteed. Um, like the, the floor, the, the worst case scenario outcome for McGee is lower than the worst case scenario outcome for Claxton. So it would have driven me to look more closely at Claxton. That's, that's sort of what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to do with this, this idea of building a rubric of like identifying the, um, the different sort of uh, boxes of thinking that we apply because I, I was inconsistent in my, in my application of them across like this, uh, this Raz Jam draft, for example, you know, like, um, like I never looked at, I, it's so funny listening to that podcast because like <laughs> I drafted, so I drafted Trey Young at the end of the first round mm-hmm. and I did like Young Lillard and Lillard, I was just like, Hey, this guy's a first rounder. He's over the injury. Um, the track record says it, nothing in his role has changed. He's still going to be this offensive engine. Um, the only downside is injury. And like, you know, that's a, that's sort of a universal one that you can apply to most players. And then I took young and I was like, well, you know, I love the free throw. I love the assist rate. I love the points. Um, and then da da da. And then as it comes around to the third, to the third round, I hear myself saying, you know, like, you know, I was weighing Cade Cunningham. I was weighing DeJounte Murray. I was weighing Desmond Bain. And when I got to DeJounte Murray, I was just like, you know, I don't really know how it's going to fit with Trey Young. I don't know. I, I, that, that situation makes me a little squeamish as if I didn't think that when I was drafting the other side of that equation. Right, you know? right. And so that's, those are the kinds of things that I think like a rubric could help with. Cause I could, I would, I wouldn't be able to bypass that red flag for Trey Young that exists, that also existed for Murray that like ultimately threw up the stop sign on me. And there are other reasons why I went with Gobert instead of Murray there, but that's the kind of thing is like, I feel like I can get um, kind of pigeonholed in my thinking of like, this is the narrative that I'm choosing to believe the most strongly in this circumstance. And that is not the narrative that I apply uniformly down up and down my draft sheet. So that's, that's how I'm trying to like, organize this does that make sense no it does it does and i mean i i go through the same thing right it's um i think the ultimate goal is to uh uh to organize and then to what's the word i'm looking for uh quantify so you know we're trying to uh you know quantify everything just not just stats but you know, if we can, you know, roll intangibles, right? Like anything that we can quantify to kind of give us a, you know, some sort of baseline and some idea of where to go. I think that's the ultimate goal, right? And then also, and then from there, you want to be able to organize. So, you know, that's why, you know, I always use the NSA analogy, right? Because, you know, just soak in as much fucking data as you can, but then you got to organize the data. Like the data by itself doesn't mean shit. 
right? You have to be able to, you got, you need the proper analyst to figure out what's important and what's not, and then to discard all the rest because the rest of it is noise, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so I think you know, like those are the two main goals, uh, like being able to have like, you know, the Rubik that you're trying to construct, I think is a great thing because, uh, not only does it, uh, kind of refine and organize your process and thoughts, but then also give you a visual cue, a visual cue, uh, which is, which to me is also very helpful too. Right. And, um, you know, I, I think I probably had to sit down and think like, um, a lot of the questions or a lot of the things that I've learned, I probably have to do a better idea of just writing them down because uh, sometimes like, I, you know, I will forget them. Uh, you know, one thing that I really took from uh, reading the, you know, the process uh, by Jeff Zimmerman was that um, basically like a lot, he, you know, he's breaking it down. Like a lot of his motivation for doing the, the things that he's doing uh, is so that uh, when you're in the high pressure situation or when you're on the clock that, you know, you don't panic that, you know, mm-hmm. like, like you just be able to boom, make the decision just like that because it's already been done. Right. And so, you know, the, the context is a little different, right? Because when you're in like a live draft and you're on a clock, you know, whatever, one minute, 30 seconds, you know, that's a little different, right? Because things are moving and stuff like that. But I still think it's applicable to, to any kind of draft, even a slow draft. Right. Even even if you have two hours to think about something, um, you know, you can still fall into the panic and, and tilt and, you know, get discombobulated. You know, like if you had your eyes set on a particular player and then he goes right before you. Right. Like, you know, what are you going to do? What's your reaction? Right. And so, you know, being able to just have all that stuff down, um, I, I do think it really helps with the decision making process uh, and to automate and um you know, like going back to, oh, okay. Well, at least for me, I don't know how applicable it would be to anybody else, but the perfect analogy for me was like, um, you know, like, so back to trading, right? Like, you know, the, the, the one thing I really realized from trading was it's really, it's a, it's a human emotion game, you know, like, like it, I, I really got a better sense of myself, like when I started trading and like, there's a reason why, you know, it's basically fear and greed. It, it's a market of fear and greed. It's not really a market of value or prices. It's, you know, it's a market of fear, fear and greed. That, that's basically what it is, right? And so, you know, the one thing that uh, that took me a lot of time and intuition to learn was uh, to try to automate the process, I guess, as much as possible. Like, in a way, the goal was to be a robot, right? So, you know, the ultimate thing was... Like if shit hits the fan, what am I going to do? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, cause when shit hits the fan, you don't have time to think, you don't have time to process any of that shit. Right. So you have to have already mapped out that scenario. You've you already had to figure out what you're going to do if the shit hits the fan. And then that's step one. But then step two is actually pressing the button. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people have difficulty with, right? They can be like, yeah, if shit hits the fan, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, boom, right? But when it actually comes to it, you right, and, you know, the emotions start kicking in, the adrenaline, all this stuff, a lot of people, they hesitate for whatever reason, right? And so I think I think it's the same same way with, you know, fantasy sports, right? Like, 
um, you know, you get tilted, right? Whatever, like you're the plan that you mapped out, the perfect plan that you mapped out, like it got fucked up, right? <laughs> right? Somebody jumped ADP by whatever three rounds, right? And you know that was the guy that you were waiting for, right? And so now right. you're right. So, um, yeah. So yeah, just having everything out there. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like the Rubik idea. That's uh, it's really good. Cool. So right now, uh, what does it constitute? For you well that's yeah that's i'm i'm thinking about it now and i'm trying to think about like what those things are and so i've got like i've got some bullet points here about things factors that should be considered um and so right now this list looks like track record you know applying a racco rule like don't you don't have to be the hero you don't have to be the guy who's right or the most right about Jalen Williams or whatever um, to track record upside should be a thing that is considered of just like, is there, a, that's like the Wong Jenicky of like, is there a possibility that this guy can jump around a value, two rounds of value? Yeah. I think that's the thing that should be looked at. Um, I think having gone through the process of thinking about what is the best case scenario and what is the worst case scenario, especially that worst case scenario of just like that, I think that will help prevent falling into like Jalen Smith sized pitholes. Just like I've, I've thought about like what happens if this guy loses this job and if it's likely or possible that he will. Um, so the best and worst case scenario. Um, and then like a depth chart role. Um, like where, where are they? What kind of competition are they looking at? on their own team for minutes for opportunity and then um sort of like broader team context moving pieces have they has rudy gobert just left the only team that he's ever played for to play for another team like that should be a thing that you also think about um and then i think what you said about like just having an adp number attached to it so you can you know you can sort of see you can make your own decisions of like how many green flags, how many red flags, how many yellow flags are applied to all of those things. And then you can sort of see like, oh, well, that's a guy that's happening that's being drafted on average in the fifth round. He's only got two like solid green flags. He's got two yellow flags and two red flags. Maybe this guy isn't as safe as the fifth rounder as we'd want him to be. Thinking about like Scotty Barnes in that context of like, you know, that was one where I, I took track record, which didn't really exist you know, he had one, he had one year. It was a good year. Um, and I applied like one good year of track record and the promise of upside and was like fifth round, no problem, you know, <laughs> right. or sixth round or whatever, you know, like I, I, in the, again, in the podcast, I was like, all he needs to do is just do what he did last year. And if he's a little bit better then I get value on my investment. And like, that's, that's a common way to, to draft a player who's going to underperform his ADP, especially if you're reaching for him because he's a he's an upsidey player that a lot of people are going to be excited about. Um, but you know, I'm I'm this this rubric the 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 bullet points on it are still very much under construction. I just thought about doing this like yesterday, so yeah. So I'm, I'm looking for some feedback too. If there are other things that you think we should add on to this, yeah, yeah, no, um, it's it's. I mean, it's a. Uh... Yeah, it's, it's a process. I think you're going to always start, you know, you add stuff, right? You'll add more stuff and then you'll take stuff off and, you know, you'll 
throw it in the trash and then you'll bring it back and then, you know so it goes back down to just it just experience and just trying shit and you know uh <clears throat> when i used to play a lot more hoops <clears throat> i used to play you know one-on-one -on -one with with my buddy and we'd always talk and stuff like that and um you know he's just like i was like well you know sometimes yo just throw up some shit just throw up garbage you know like horse shots or whatever right he's like why i was like well just to see if it works right and then you, you know what i'm saying like you know so like you know that's what i think like sometimes like crazy moves crazy shots sometimes it just happens like whatever like you just do something or a situation arises where it forces you to you know do something but then you know you think about it like oh shit you know how can i make that into a move right and you know obviously sometimes some moves and some shots are like really calculated and just planned out but you know i think a lot of them you just just fucking shoot it <laughs> and see what happens and then and then take it from there right um i think a couple things that i was thinking about adding maybe i think draft capital is is pretty important mm. you know and i think this is you know it applies to all the sports like i hear it on all the sports but it, it's true right and um i think the main thing is is twofold you know one is obviously um you know there's the team makes you know has an investment in them right and so they'll the leash may be a little bit longer right but then past that um you know as, as much as like you know we may all clown like certain teams and organizations and, and things like that i mean there's still you know it's a still a billion dollar business and you know there's there's dudes getting paid to evaluate players and to make decisions so you know when these corporations are spending you know millions of dollars on an investment you know they they're doing it for a reason right and i'm sure there's a lot of research that went into it so um you know i think uh you know I, i've definitely been more cognizant of that you know lately and then you know obviously also you know if the team doesn't have if a player doesn't have draft capital um why you know why wasn't he selected right like you know, obviously, you know, there's sometimes when those guys, you know, do come out of the woodwork and they ball out, right? But more than off, more often than not, there's a reason why they weren't drafted, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, like think about that, and then, um, you know, back to your Jalen Smith, you know, kind of rant, and yeah, like I mean, trust into it. I've been, I've thought about that fucking scenario so much, but and you know, the the Scotty Barnes one as well. I think in a way. Um, they're similar in the sense that like, you know, sometimes I think we, yeah, like we transfer last year's stats and then just automatically project it to this year's stats. Or then sometimes like, you know, we feel like uh, growth is linear, right? So mm -hmm. if he did X last year, then, you know, whatever, the next year he should, you know, increase everything by whatever, 5% in each category, right? But you know, it doesn't work like that, right? Like, you know, I mean, both. Like, so Jalen Smith, you know, I mean, new role, right? You know, it's, there's new players, Scotty Barnes, same team, right? But he was going to have a new role. Because he played so well last year, they were going to give mm -hmm. him, you know, they gave him more responsibility, right? And so um, how are we going to, you know, how are we going to factor that in, you know? And then, you know, there's the you know, narrative of all these like sophomore slumps and things like that. And, you know, I think a lot of times you can kind of dismiss a lot of those things, but I mean, there is some credence to it in the sense that like, um, you know, 
just a simple one like you know a player balls out the year before there's more attention now there's more like the scouting report is more extensive now there's more focus now like you know those guys are not coming under the, you know you know going under the radar right so um yeah there's i mean there's just mm-hmm. i think there's so many factors you know that we can uh you know think about uh and do it you know, you know like for uh a lot of times for dfs like I'll, co- I'll construct my lineups like from the bottom up i'll just go to the cheapest guy and then see which guy do i feel most comfortable uh rostering and then i'll put them in and then i'll see oh you know what upgrades can i do past that and then you know then a lot of times like i'll just start tinkering it with the okay so uh maybe i want to step up here so you know maybe he's too cheap or you know i don't like the whatever points per dollar here so let me go up a little here and then see how that works right uh but you know it kind of goes back to what you're saying about um you know where are the blocks at for, for example right um and then at what cost can i get them where are they kind of like situated uh so for example like um i mean i'll just use the, the claxing example again you know but like you know if i go back to like last year you know this draft and like i'd be like well all right, you know, this guy's past, you know, top 100, you know, worst case scenario, maybe, you know, get him two rounds, you know, earlier, but I still feel like there's upside there. So I know I had this guy here if, and then that kind of changes my whole thinking of how I approach a draft, right? Because then I won't be stressing about, you know, whatever certain positions because I know like I have him here. So then, then I'll be like, well, maybe I can focus more on this knowing that I have the blocks here, but if like he's the only guy there right and then i think that changes the calculus too right because then it's like mm-hmm. oh shit, right well what if i miss that guy or maybe there's other guys thinking the same way that i'm i'm thinking right so so then that, that that changes it too right so but you know if there's like three or four guys there then then it's okay right then it goes into tier and be like oh well you know maybe i miss out on gafford and then this other guy is not as good but maybe he's close enough, right? And yeah. so then I think it goes back to like, um, and this is why I like the, the Casey Chow method, right? Then it's like, you know, um, you've really digged into to players, right? To where you feel comfortable enough. If there's any hesitation, then you just fucking X them out, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, say you go through that process and then there's not enough guys, right? So then that in of itself says something too, so then that forces you to go back again and then dig more deeply into that player pool so that so that you come to a place where um you know there is comfort level right so i mm-hmm. yeah, i mean I, i'm still i'm still kind of like experiencing and learning that myself but that's kind of like the thought that i was having uh you know approaching it this way uh for this particular baseball jet because in the past i was more reliant on rudy's war room and I think, yeah. man, it, I mean, it's, great tool. it's fucking awesome. It's the best fucking tool out there, right? And that's what I tried to replicate with hoops. I, you know, it's obviously not there, but uh, you know, I'll keep trying to you know, improve it to, to maybe hopefully get it to that that level. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can draft that way, and it's awesome. But at the same time, you know, you know, and and like I don't know. In a way, maybe it's twofold. Maybe it's an ego thing, but then also I feel like it's the best way to do it just because, um, you know, everybody has 
different processes, different valuations and different perspectives. So I need some, you know, I want something that fits me, but then I don't know, it could be an ego thing too. It's like, I want to, you know, do my own shit, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe, you know, maybe it's a combination, but you know, I, I, I do feel like, um, you know, I don't know now that I'm thinking kind of talking it out, like, um, because I guess, it, I, I don't know, the best analogy is like, like if I put on a trade, um, I need to, I need, I guess, I guess this is what it is. I need to understand why I'm putting on the trade, because if I don't know why I'm understanding the trade, then I, I cannot manage that trade. Like, I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish or what, I don't know where my stop loss is or anything. Right. So I think that's what it, that that's like where it comes from. So like, if I know where the projections are coming from, if I know what's, you know, what's in them or, or, or whatnot, and whatever the process is, then I, th I feel like I have a better understanding of uh, what I'm trying to accomplish, I guess. Yeah. That makes sense to me. I mean, it's, we're, we're, the whole process is hard, right? It is. You know, it is. It's just, you're trying to, you're trying to predict the future in, uh, with only the tools that you have in, in, in your sort of tool belt to, to help doing that. And so, yeah, you know, like it's, I'm excited to, to start to dig in. I, I think the, the Chaw method of going, of building from the bottom up is really exciting to me. It's a thing that I'm, I, I think I'm gonna really look forward to. I think I'm gonna do it when, you know, I'm gonna, my plan is I'm gonna sort of continue to think through this rubric yeah. and then I'm gonna apply it you know, I guess I'm, I'm thinking about like, how, you know, where you source, where do you source the bottom from? Where do you, you know, every, every list has to be organized in one way or another. And so I guess one thought I'm having is like, do you, are you pulling just like, all right, we'll start with the Atlanta Hawks and then we'll go down to the wizards and then we'll, we'll sort of tier as we go. Or did you look at previous years uh, results as like the basis of rankings? Like, where did you start when you were okay. when you were organizing? All right, so um, are we talking about baseball? The baseball one I did. All right. So either, well, I mean, either way, okay. you know, like I, I know you didn't do it for basketball. So like, how did you do it for baseball? And if it's applicable for basketball, we can do that. Um, yeah. So for baseball, it was it was kind of all jumbled up. Um, but I think what my my first kind of breeze through was um, I went through each team's depth or projected depth charts. And then, okay. and then I just kind of looked at, at everything uh, and just kind of, I guess, just kind of get a feel of the lay of the land. Um, you know, things kind of stood out or, or whatnot. Uh, and then I went into uh, the fan graphs, the, like their uh, their projections, their project, mm -hmm. you know, whatever for the. Uh, so you did it off of projections. Yeah, so I did it off, gotcha. I did it off okay. projections. But then I kept going back and forth because sometimes I would look at projections, but then. Um, like I'm trying to think exactly when one of projections I went through each player, but then I also did go back and then I went through each team's depth chart and then, mm -hmm. and then, you know, if there were guys that like maybe I overlooked or, or whatnot, or if there are guys that were in a different batting order than I thought that they would be, uh, then I, you know, I kind of went into them more. I'm trying to think of it like I, I, you know, for like how I would approach it for basketball this year, because in the past, I would do each depth chart, uh, each team depth chart, uh, and then 
from from each jump chart obviously like i guess my first one was allocating the minutes uh that was like mm -hmm. the most important thing to me to me and then uh and then going in and doing like their individual projections uh and then from there you know it spits out the overall um i do think like i you know i can get better with that uh so we'll see but in terms of i guess uh how i would refine it i guess for like kind of like a casey chow bottom up i'm trying to think um so i think the way that i'm going to do it this coming up year is I'll, I'll keep it the same i'll do the team depth charts uh out minutes allocations projections um no actually no i'm sorry before that i'll probably yeah just try to get in as much information as i can mm -hmm. uh and then Yes. Okay. Yes. So then I'll do the team depth charts, minutes allocations, projections, and then when I look at the overall, um, I'll probably break it down into positions, and then look at positions, and then and then categorically I'll look at the categories after that, uh, and then I think from I I think the categories is going to be more important, right? Just to kind of see where certain stats are, uh, and yeah. So like. You know, then you got to factor in the ADP and things like that, but that might be difficult. Obviously, you're not going to have ADP in the beginning, but um, I think should be able to get a, a decent gauge of it uh, mm -hmm. with like you know kind of where they are, like the overall rankings and and, and stuff like that. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's still a process for me too. Uh, I don't know exactly. Yeah. I don't know exactly how I'm going to uh, incorporate it, but I have a feeling um, that's the way. I'm going to do it. So, oh, okay. No, so I missed a step. So after I do my projections, then I'm going to go, I'm going to go in positionally, right? So I'll go through each guard, forward, center. So with, from the guards, I'll dig in and I'll be like, then I'll just start putting guys on my sheet and, and leaving guys off. So X and out guys and putting them on. And then um, I'll do that for each position. Uh, and then I'll kind of, if there's, you know, if there's issues there, if there's like too many or too few, then I guess I'll, I'll go back and, and kind of refine it. Then after I break that down, then, uh, then I'll break it down by stats. Yeah. I think that's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to see where, um, you know, I don't think we have to do all of them. Right. Cause I think some are just inherently, you'll know where the points are. Uh, but it's probably, mm -hmm. I'll probably focus on, uh, probably blocks. I think for me, I, I'm beginning to lead, lean towards um, figuring out blocks and then building from there. I think that's where I think that's where I'm going to lean because once once I answer that question, I think it kind of it it'll kind of lead me in, in certain directions automatically, right? Because I get that. Yeah, because I'm I'm kind of leaning towards like from a macro sense of uh, leaning more, you know, a little more guard heavy. I think uh, just just you know doing that and then yeah so i mean obviously if I, f I feel like it's difficult to get the blocks later then you know i'll probably have to adjust and, and do it like that but i don't know i just when i'm just looking at like a lot of my drafts this year um you know I'll, I'll, like most of the the ones that are, are good and that i'm feeling good about are when i basically hammered points and free throw percentage early on because that that just gave me such a good base you know, it really did. And then, 
yeah. I, I feel like you can, you know, you can fill in uh, those guys, and you can find the blocks later, right? So yeah, sorry, go. Well, the, no, just like the trouble. I think that's a good. I think prioritizing points early is sort of required because I don't think there's such a thing as late points. Yeah. Like I, they just don't really exist, you know? Uh, and so, um, I used to always, you know, for, I used to always fall behind in points. I'll always fall behind. It's a yeah. very easy thing to do. Yeah, you know, sure. it's a very easy thing to do because you feel like, um, at least in my case, like I'll chase, um, blocks or some sort of specialty niche stat early thinking that I can get points later and I just like cannot you, you can't do it you, you know they, oh, sorry those it ends up being like Kelton Johnson where you're just like I kind of wish I didn't have these <laughs> points you know right, like right. the the cost is, it it it's so painful to roster him in other in other categories that like his yeah he gives you 20 points a game but like he shoots it 20 times and he doesn't rebound and he doesn't get any defensive stats and yeah I mean it it's points early is like I think required. I really, I think so. Yeah, no, for sure. And you, you know where I think like, uh, I think I've gotten better over the years was, uh, in the beginning, I think I focused too much on balance. Uh, you know, we we're talking about like the Zubac free throw, or whatever, Jared Allen free throw, and you know the like steals and blocks guys. So like more like, you know, the Mikhail Bridges type players. Like I always felt like that was like the way that I should go, right? But now. I like Mikhail Bridges. I, you know, obviously I won't pay up for him, but now I think I've realized, like, yeah, that's that's not the way to go, right? <laughs> you, you know, like, yeah, especially steals because steals is such a, a volatile stat, and then you know, steals and blocks. I think you can get, but, um, but yeah, you just kind of like what what you're saying, you know, like the guys you want the high usage guys that are are scoring because a lot of times, you know, outside of like the Anthony Simons type players, you know, those guys are gonna have you know they're gonna, you know, get four boards, four dimes, right? Steal, right? So, you know, they have the ball in their hand, they have the usage. There's gonna be opportunities for them to do that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, they're gonna stay yeah. on the floor too. Yeah, exactly. You know? like, exactly. Scoring, you have to be able to score. You know, like you can you can be a specialty player, you can be a Kyle Anderson, but Kyle Anderson only has that job because he's playing next to Anthony Edwards. Right. You know, like you don't you're not building a franchise around Kyle Anderson. Yeah, um, no, for sure. Let me ask you one more question and we can get yeah, out of yeah. here. Um, how many players did you X out in that baseball draft? 25 rounds, right? A lot. I'm going to turn, I'm going to uh, put up my sheet right now. Uh, I X out a lot. I, I was very, I was very conscious in X, X and out players. Uh, so it, it actually ended up being okay because um, there were plenty. Uh, but obviously I think in like a real, real draft, I would have to be a little bit more, uh, conservative just because in, in the end game like i needed rudy sheet <laughs> um okay hold on let me pull up my sheet so well baseball is baseball is harder than basketball because the player pool is bigger that's true no that is true and players are spe- like you have specialty players like there's no like pitcher hitter divide in basketball everyone is just a basketball player right okay so so okay so catcher um Part of my, I guess, my bias into it, which factored in cost, was uh, I, I don't, I don't like paying off for catcher. So my goal going into catcher, I think, was different than the other positions because, so my goal in catcher was to figure out how many 
of the cheap catchers I would feel comfortable with. So I, I essentially X'd out all the guys in the top, basically top 70, you know, mm. top 50. I definitely X'd all those guys out. So I'm like, I'm not, whatever, I'm not taking them. It's just whatever. So then it's just, the, you know, the guys near like the top 100. And then obviously if there's any guys past the top 200, like those are the guys I wanted to kind of identify. So uh, let me see, two, four, six, eight. So eight guys I identified. And... um. They were all within, let me see, so ADP 95 to like 134. And then there were three guys outside the top 150. So that kind of gave me an idea, right? So depending on how the draft flows, um, you know, all right, if this guy goes, if these guys go, all right, I may need to be a little more aggressive before, right, this next tier goes. Because I probably want to get two in that top 95 to top 130 ish range. Uh, and then, you know, after that, then it's like, oh shit, right, it might be, it might be trouble, right? So I probably. Yeah, uh, I might have waited yeah, too long. Yeah, so, you know, that gave me a really good idea. Um, so just give me an example. So uh, we, we talked about third base. I mean, there's like seven guys there. First base was a lot more liberal. Uh, so I felt like. Um, and so. Let me see, two, four, six, eight. Like there's like 12 first basemen. And so they're all pretty cheap. And so because of that, um, I, I, I kind of X'd out the guys at the very top. And so that kind of mm-hmm. led me to, all right, you know, because I, I feel comfortable with these particular guys, um, you know, I can focus my attention more on other positions. So then, then I looked at like ADP and kind of like how the landscape looked. Uh, you know, obviously shortstop is very deep. So that was like could pretty much go anywhere there right so then it came down to basically like you know how am i gonna attack so you know so essentially right there um catcher third base and first base it kind of defined my draft in a way right because i kind of know where i'm going catcher i kind of know what i want to do third base and first base is like I have all these options here and they're pretty late. So that gave me a lot of like flexibility. So then, you know, I know shortstop is deep, right? So, so then basically my, the question comes to, uh, and you know, second base I thought was pretty deep too, right? So then it basically comes down to how am I going to approach second base shortstop, but more importantly, what am I going to do at outfielder and pitcher? So I think, Mm -hmm. By doing all of this and just kind of getting a, a general lay, lay of the landscape, uh, you know, it really kind of forced me to. I guess it elevated the the important questions for me, right? And then once I can answer those questions, then it's like, all right, then it kind of gave me a little bit more direction on, on what I do, you know, whether I executed it right or wrong, you know, that that remains to be seen. Like I don't think I attacked, yeah, you know, I don't think I attacked outfield. It's probably as hard as I should have. And then, hmm. you know, like I said, like I, I really like my Raz Jam Jeff last year. So, <laughs> you know, like, so that's, just, it doesn't mean anything. But um, I did, I did enjoy the process, actually. Uh, I, yeah. Know, I did enjoy going through all that and doing it. And, you know, obviously it takes some work, um, but it, it really helped me to kind of just narrow things down and just, you know, refine everything. So, yeah, it was good. Sounds good to me, man. I'm I'm excited to to start to put things together a little bit on my end. 
because so few, I have so few competitive teams, I, I can start to like lay some groundwork <laughs> for for how to do this next year and, and maybe figure out like how to sort of key things in the ways that I think would be useful. But um, yeah, you know, I this is sort of like the the guts of what we're doing here is like trying to figure out what are the ways that you can you can get better at this. And I think that like pulling from people that have won, pulling from people that have been successful adopting different methodologies, trying out, seeing what works, like, you know, uh, we'll only get sharper from here as long as we continue to pay attention and be thoughtful. And um, I think this was a, a, a good one. I think we did a nice job. No, yeah, no, well done as well. I, I really like the topic. Um, I think just to kind of add to what you're saying. Um, yeah, no, you know, seeing what other people do and kind of kind of gives you some sort of like direction, right? But then you know, past that, then it's experience in doing shit. And then, you know, because we all see different things, right? Like you and I will try to do the KC Cha thing and uh, we'll glean different things from it, right? And you'll, you know, maybe you'll see something like, oh shit, you know, like this helped me out this way. Or maybe, oh shit, maybe if I tweak it like this, it'll do. And then, so I think that's like the natural evolution of, uh, you know, possibly making it better or to, you know, some sort of innovation, right? Like if we see something or we don't see something, you know? So, you know, I think talking it out and just kind of like experiencing it and, and doing it, um, I think it's going to be good, man. I, I You know, so it, like when you go through the process, uh, you know, if you hear something, you know, if you see something or if you think of something, man, just, you know, just, just holler it out into the universe, you know? And, you know, I, on a separate topic, you know, but like, when you put shit out there in the universe, you know, like sometimes like uh, the universe will come back and, and give you insight, or, you know, or show you how to do it better or, you know, help you to tweak it better or, or whatnot, you know. So, you know, hopefully like, you know, you and I just, you know, spewing our shit, you know, some dude hears it and it's like, you know, oh, no, you guys are wrong. And then it helps us right now. Right. It helps us to figure, oh, shit, you're right. Right. Or you're like, well. You know what about doing this or what about doing that right and then so then i think mm -hmm. that process just you know helps to um yeah just elevate and innovate you know things so hopefully yeah we can get there man but um always a pleasure joel thank you for your time sir and uh yeah man let, let's do this now i'm ready for jazz already man let, let's go i know that's what i said i'm a, i feel like i'm just a, a sick man <laughs> i've been hanging out with you too long <laughs> i've rubbed uh, i've infected you i apologize the I was stunned the other week when you're like, I'm in a baseball draft right now. I was like, fuck me, <laughs> this guy's in a fucking baseball draft. We haven't come close to – this basketball season is still so undetermined. How could you possibly be thinking about something else? So, uh, I think I have a disease. But yeah, man, I, I have a drafting disease. I just love drafting. It's, uh, I'm, a sick, I'm a sick puppy. But... We're all happy in our work, man. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we'll see you next week. Take care out there, and uh, good luck, everybody, I guess. Go! <laughs> <laughs> Later, Joe. <laughs> Take care, dude.